Welcome to Manage This, the podcast by project managers for project managers. Every two weeks we meet to talk about the things that matter to you in the dynamic and constantly evolving domain of project management. We know the challenges you face, and it's our hope that we can help you learn to meet those challenges and even prosper from hearing the experiences of others who have gone before you. I'm your host, Nick Walker, and with me are the two guys who are responsible for most of the learning around here, Andy Crow and Bill Yates. And Andy, we have in the studio with us someone whose job it is to make your stomach growl and make your mouth water for one of the most popular fast foods on the planet. That's right. And to, to make my stomach turn a little bit sometimes with uh, the creative ideas that I have to figure out how to do. So it, it's all works. Well, let's get into As the Stomach Turns uh, this, this morning. So, well, all right. that's, that's a great title for this. Wow. I'm, I'm so fortunate to be here today. Steve Nedvedic, you're the Senior Manager of Learning and Development and Innovation Specialist for Chick-fil-A Incorporated. Steve, you've been with the company since 1988. You've worn a number of hats, uh, film and video producer, marketing consultant, and program manager. And it's my understanding that in your current role, you teach, you coach, you facilitate sessions that help staff members solve the tough business problems that come up. But you're also on the board of directors at the Theatrical Outfit in Atlanta and on the Innovation, Creativity, and Entrepreneurship Council at Wake Forest University. Uh, Steve, welcome to Manage This. What a lot of hats you wear. I, I, I guess that's either because I have a big head or I'm not good at anything. But um, thanks, Nick. I appreciate being here and, and uh, spend this time with Andy and Bill. It's going to be great. Looking forward to it. Really do appreciate the uh, opportunity. And uh, we have a lot to talk about. So let's jump in. Yeah, yeah. You are an innovator. Uh, at a company that does $8 billion in sales every year, I understand. Right. And you work with other innovators who dream big and bring creative ideas for new products and services. And from what I know of Chick-fil-A and from what I've tasted of its products, it seems to be a company built on innovation. Uh, that, that's right. Actually, innovation is is really in our DNA. And it started with you know, our founder, Truett Cathy. Uh, who was just wired that way. You can call him an innovator. You can call him an opportunist, an entrepreneur, mm -hmm. uh, just a, a big creative guy, whatever you want to call him. But he was all those things. And uh, it's been an interesting journey over the last 30 years to see how the organization has moved and shifted within that culture for uh, this, this one man who started with one restaurant in 1946 to create this mm -hmm. giant chicken company mm -hmm. how many restaurants are there today oh there's 2000 plus wow. um yeah at some point in time you just kind of stop counting you know because <laughs> every day you get the email oh we're, we just opened up this one we've just opened yeah. this one now we're looking at uh where are the interesting places that we're opening where we haven't been before so mm -hmm. suddenly a restaurant opens up in detroit my hometown that's very interesting because we didn't have any there or uh you're thinking about going internationally that's, you know, interesting, you know, conversation to have. Selling a lot of chicken. People are eating more chicken. That's good. Yeah, eat more chicken. Eat more chicken. So, you know, innovation doesn't happen overnight. Uh, it's it's a process. Can you tell us a little bit about how, how that began? Uh, well, for Chick-fil-A, um, you know, there's having the DNA of your founder being in the camp of innovation uh, is, is, a, is a blessing because it allows you the freedom to to really want to try things mm -hmm. to want to grow things and to want to develop things 
Um, but our journey hasn't always been a journey of innovation. Uh, in fact, there were many, many years where we were really more of a culture of continuous improvement mm. versus mm. a culture of innovation. So that the journey of getting to where we are now, where we've had to create a discipline and a process for innovation has, has been decades long. Um, but it's it's a really great story. But you know, Steve, when you talk about the culture of continuous improvement, that is a second cousin to innovation in general. Because there's this idea <clears throat> that things stay static. We're we have um, we have continuous improvement in our DNA. That's part of our uh, part of what we do. So we're constantly changing and improving our products. But it's every single time we touch it. You know, every single time we come back, we try and improve. When you look at that, um, that's n- it's a leap to innovation, but it's not completely different, is no, it? No, it's not. Mm. It's not. Um, in fact, we, we consider continuous improvement to be a form of innovation right. when we talk about it and when we teach it. Uh, it's just it doesn't stop there. Mm. And the, the level of risk that you have to be willing to, to kind of choke down when you're trying to get into a breakthrough or a disruptive innovation, it, that's just tougher for some people. It's tougher because where their business model is in their history, and then sometimes it's just tougher for people based on their wiring. It, 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 I married an accountant, you know, <laughs> and I love her to death, but I don't want her sitting around the kitchen table, you know, while we're while we're having an ideation session. She breaks into hives. You know, it's just <laughs> she's not wired that way. Right. But mm-hmm. she's got to be the one that's constantly tweaking, moving, and improving the you know the the books of the family as we go on, or we're not going to make any progress. Mm-hmm. So those two things, Andy, you're right. I mean, they they are cousins, and they have to work together. You know, one of my favorite um, fra- favorite lessons learned is from uh, you know the the book um, Built to Last. Mm-hmm which is Jim Collins' book on how, how brands and organizations stay relevant over time. And, and in that, uh, among the lessons that he teaches, one of the ones that we keep coming back to is any business that sticks has to do two things really well. One is preserve the core. The other is stimulate progress. Mm. And those two things really are connected, and you have to be able to do both of them at the same time. Got to walk and chew gum at the same time. Mm -hmm. It's fascinating and very relevant for right now because you look at one of these brands that was one of the most disruptive brands imaginable 100 years ago, Sears and Roebuck, is now fighting for their life. Mm -hmm. They're, They're struggling to stay alive. So here they were disruptive and innovative early on with cattle logs and they got completely behind the e-commerce uh, yeah. idea uh, behind the ball on that. That's right. That's right. And continue to do, you know, or, or at least do uh, bricks and mortar. And I don't know when last time you went into a Sears store was, I mean, I, I, I've been in one probably within the last six months and it was to actually return something from Land's End, um, not to actually <laughs> right. buy anything. Um, and you just, you just look around and you just, you, f- you kind of feel bad. Yeah. You know, it's like here's somebody that's struggling for identity. And so it's your job not to let that happen yeah. at Chick-fil-A. That's mm-hmm. right. My my job to be a catalyst to encourage people to to move out to step forward to risk stuff, mm-hmm. to try things, to be creative. So I get a chance to teach and coach to all that and it's it's a lot of fun. Steve, going back to Truett Cathy yeah. and so way back to nineteen forty six. Uh, 1946 is when he opened when the he opened Dwarf the Grill. Yeah, so he must have been tinkering with the formula, you know, yeah. 
continuing to make tiny little tweaks and then asking customers that come into the restaurant, do I, you know, what do you think? Do you like today's sandwich better than last week? Right, right. Do I have two pickles or three? You know, there's so many little tweaks that he was making. How, when I think about those two concept of, uh, concepts of preserve the core and stimulate progress, when you look back on some mm-hmm. of the decisions that Truett made early on, mm-hmm. how, how can you reflect back on that and see, okay, here's some examples of how he was modeling that out for us? Oh, yeah. Uh, well, you know, Truett, when he opened the Dwarf Grill in 1946, he was intending to open it with his brother. Right. Uh, they had just gotten out of World War II. Uh, his brother Ben and Truett, they'd gone into business together, and then his brother Ben was unfortunately, you know, killed in a in an accident. And uh, then Truett was by himself, mm-hmm. um, not married, trying to you know struggle through running a restaurant, and he didn't know how to do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, he had seen his mother have a, like a hospitality kind of a lodge back when he was growing up. So he, they had borders and stuff in their house. So he understood concepts of service and hospitality, but he'd never run a restaurant before. Mm. And so he had to lock down a lot of things there. But the, the Dwarf Grill was very small. So it was right across from the Ford plant and the Delta the Delta um, business in ah. Hapeville, Georgia. So it had to be open all the time uh, because you had third shifts that were running. So the first six days of the week, he was running 24 hours a day and got up on a Sunday morning and couldn't get out of bed. And that's where the closed on Sundays thing came uh-huh. from. Um, but in those early days of just trying to figure out how to run a restaurant, I'm sure that's what he spent his time doing. There's not a lot of time to rethink things. You're trying to serve eggs. You're trying to serve <laughs> sausage and bacon and, of course, fried chicken. which is very popular in the South. And so you're, you're just kind of running the play every day. You don't really have time to think through things. Mm. But what caused him to, to change his business actually happened in the 60s. It was in the early 60s when he began to realize that he wasn't going to be able to grow his business beyond the small restaurant that he had unless he changed some things. And here's what I mean by that. The number one thing that was really selling on the menu was fried chicken. And it takes a while to cook chicken on the bone. Yep. So the problem that he had was he wasn't turning tables fast enough uh. because people would order fried chicken. It would take six and a half minutes to cook it, and then they'd have to wait, and they'd eat. And then, so, so you're, you're locked by capacity, right? So what was going through Truett's mind at the time is, so how do we stimulate progress? So how do you do things differently in order to create more margin at tables so that I can sell more more product. And he had some friends who had some chicken fillets that he began to toy with and tinker with. And you talk about the the ability to really do something that is uh, um, an experiment to try, you know, right. a, a spike type of a moment where he's where he's just tinkering with things. He's, mm. he's tinkering with a fillet of chicken. And he can do that on the fly. He can do it that in a very nimble way because he's just one restaurateur mm. and realizes that he can take the cooking di- time down to two and a half minutes. Mm. And he puts it on a toasted butter bun with a couple pickle slices and creates a walkout product that you can eat as you travel or that allows you to eat it faster at the table. So suddenly that need, that real business need of turning tables became an opportunity for innovation. And that changed everything. And that was the birth of the Chick-fil-A sandwich. Wow. And that was early 60s. 
Yeah. So he'd been going at it for a while. He'd been going at it for a while. Breakthrough. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Wow. And, okay. and that was it. Was you know necessity. Mm-hmm. Necessity was mother of invention, I guess. Right. But that that was the moment where he began to think really differently mm. about what he could accomplish. And uh, then you, of course, had the the mall restaurant in 1967. Um, even the creation of the name Chick-fil-A and the logo, the A at the end of the logo or the name Chick-fil-A is Truett's idea. He wanted it to be A number one, A plus, uh, grade A. And so he did a little riff on the word filet, and it became that. And did that, Truett call it a riff? He probably <laughs> didn't call it a riff. I'm not okay. sure that he did that. Um, but he, he knew what he wanted. Truett always knew what he wanted yeah. to try. And so um, even the first operator agreement, which is the franchisee agreement that we have, was the creation from the mind of Truett, which was a business need. How can I clone myself without figuring out how to go work in another restaurant? And so he created a business model that allowed people who wanted to be in business for themselves but not by themselves mm-hmm. to kind of come in and, and run a restaurant with sweat equity uh versus the financial capital. Steve, one of the things that I think project managers struggle with, especially with small startup companies, and those are so hot right now, um, we can all think of examples of those, but one of the struggles for the PM is to come alongside someone like a true mm-hmm. Kathy who has this new idea mm-hmm. and try to help them. You know, so, the, so Truett reached a point where he said, okay, I think I'm onto something here. And I can expand this beyond one store. I can, you know, I've really, I've, I've uncovered something, mm-hmm. but I need help. And I need people to help expand this out. Um, I think a struggle for PMs is how do I gain the trust while also seeing the vision and making sure that I'm aligned with the vision of this creator mm-hmm. and gain their trust so that now I can go implement and take it to the next level. How, how did that play out with um, Chick-fil-A? Well, with Truett, you know, in those early days, as he was as he was toying with not just the sandwich, but the first mall restaurant, the Greenbrier Mall, in 1967, um, he saw the wave of opportunity in the mauling of America. Mm-hmm. And what he needed as an entrepreneur, as an innovator, was people who could execute. And that's where this great dynamic tension and marriage comes to play between the innovator and the project manager Hmm. Uh, because they can't exist without each other right they really can't Hmm. especially to take new ground Um, and you have to learn how to be able to work together Hmm. and that probably means as an innovator if you or if you are the founder of a new company or a startup Hmm that you have to realize that the people that you need to hire are not going to look just like you. Mm. And they're not going to have the strengths that you have. Mm. And you have to realize that you need somebody to compliment you, not to, um, not to replicate you. Mm. You know, Steve, one of the things, we're very involved in the not-for-profit community as well, Velocity teaches. We do a lot of work um, with local not-for-profits. And Something you find there that that reminds me of what you just said is a lot of times with the not-for-profits, the the traditional path is you find that they have a lot of passion and not always a lot of process. And sometimes they they strongly resist process. They feel like it constrains them, it locks them in. And so 
um, a lot of times that's a value I can bring is to try and bring um, what the agile world would call barely sufficient, a mm-hmm. barely sufficient process to mm-hmm. some of the not-for-profits that we work with and support right. Right. to try and help them get into a replicatable, repeatable, sustainable mode right. out of that. But you don't want to, at the same time, you don't want to, too much process will crush innovation. Absolutely right. will. It'll crush passion. That's those right. two are, uh, they overlap a lot, don't they? Yeah, they do. And it's and it's not like an equation. I mean, it's not the kind of thing that you can say you need this plus this equals this. It's a dynamic tension. It is a dynamic tension. And I'm, I'm with you, Andy, because I've worked on a, you know, a couple of uh, opportunities with nonprofits as well and find the same thing to be true. Um, you know, nonprofits need business people to help them figure out process stuff because that's not necessarily what they're gifted at. Mm. And uh, and you've got to be wise enough to know what to let go. And in Truett's case, what he was wise enough to do is to find somebody in the person of Jimmy Collins who wound up being, you know, the, the president of the organization later on. Uh, is somebody who who will tell you straight out because I have I get a chance to have breakfast with him from time to time and he's and he's a great great uh, person and say I'm I'm not a leader I'm just a good follower hmm. and his desire wasn't to be a leader to replace Truett his desire was to get into Truett's mind know what he wanted and then know how to go figure that out execute that. And Truett used to tell him all the time, you know, you're, you're not here to solve problems. You're here to prevent problems. <laughs> nice. So, you know, as a project manager, you have to think about that, you know, and how do you think ahead so that you're not putting things out there that are going to be, that are going to blow up. And how do you channel innovation? Uh, if you if you let it run unconstrained, you'd have two thousand restaurant operators oh, yeah. who are innovating with recipes and coming up with their little tweaks, and you don't want that. That's right. Uh, but you do want to to provide conduits for that kind of uh, of creative energy as well. Yes, and and uh, Truett believed, uh, you know, always that part of his role was to give the operators of Chick Fil A restaurants enough leverage to go. D- do and be and operate within their communities uh, because they all were going to have different situations. Mm. And Truett didn't want to get in the weeds, but he wanted to have their backs mm. so that they always knew that they could go to Truett with you know problems or issues, but, but Truett was going to encourage them on some ideas on how to solve those things, but not going to solve it for them. And, uh, and that's where when you're creating the model, you talk about nail it and scale it, right? right. So the, the model's created. Truett worked on the model. But then how do you scale it? And when Jimmy comes on board and, and others like him who are gifted in execution and consistency, that's how you scale. One of the favorite stories about Jimmy Collins is you know, he would go into every single Chick-fil-A restaurant when he made a restaurant visit with a spoon. And he would taste coleslaw. <laughs> the first thing he would do would be to open up coleslaw and taste coleslaw. And as an operator, you hope that that coleslaw had just the right amount of dressing in it, wasn't too dry, <laughs> wasn't too wet, you know. And uh, and he knew that the requirements and the consistency was going to be really, really important in order to scale a chain. And so the folks that were hired in the 70s and the 80s, many of whom are in senior management now, are – are gifted with that ability to do those things that preserve the core piece, right? right. The ability to, to, to manage the day-to-day toward consistency and excellence and toward incrementalism, mm-hmm. you know, and continuous improvement. 
which are all things you need when you're growing the enterprise. And then there comes a time when you get large. Yeah, Chick-fil-A's gotten large through the <laughs> yeah, years. Yeah, yeah. There, there, there's a, um, I, I've got a, a good friend who says it this way. It's like there was a time when we stopped being the hunter and we became the hunted. Mm-hmm. And when you think about it and what Chick-fil-A has had to, you know, we've got people that come right after us now um, who are copying recipes or copying growth models, copying locations and places where they put, you know, restaurants. Um, and we kid about a lot of that stuff, mm-hmm. but it's true. So at that point in time when you're the, you know, the hunted, you have to do things differently. There, There's an inherent difference between Elmer Fudd and Bugs Bunny. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you think about it. Yeah. Um, one, one is cautious. Um, one is, uh, is very uh, conservative in their approach. They're slower to move. Um, they fly under the radar screen Hmm. and one is nimble and fast and they're making quick decisions. And so when you have a large organization that suddenly has to do that, you know, go from being a cruise ship to a speedboat mentality, (laughs) um, that's tough because the people that you have in leadership are not used to that. Mm. You know, that, that's not really the giftedness that they that they have or that they bring. Well, you've cultivated operational excellence in tasting coleslaw. Mm-hmm. And now mm-hmm. you've got a really tightly defined uh, a spectrum of what that coleslaw should taste. That's uh, right. Tastes like Jim that's Cook, right. uh, the founder of uh, the Boston Brewing Company, says he still tastes every single batch of Sam Adams. Mm-hmm. Not sure whose job I'd rather have. <laughs> but the idea... Um, now to move and become nimble, yeah. and now you got to be be quick yeah. and agile. That's a tricky thing because you've you've just built all these processes. There are people, there are departments that exist. I guarantee you, to make sure that the recipes are consistent, that the tastes are consistent, that everything falls within you know quality control, inspection, things yes. like that. Yes, that's right. I mean, you you think immediately of a department like operations, you know, field operations, which is concerned about those requirements and things. But but I will tell you that when you are part of a large organization that really is built on the back of consistency and excellence, it's not just operations. I mean, every department, you know, has a big stripe of that preserve the core and even marketing. Mm. Um, you know, you've got to break out and be willing to try things you've never tried before. You've got to be willing to, to take risks. And it's hard when your when your mantra has been Excellence, yeah. Mm-hmm. Because taking risk means sometimes falling short, sometimes failing, sometimes breaking things, and that that can rub rub folks the wrong way when they've been kind of under this umbrella of excellence for so long. Now, it doesn't mean that excellence goes away; it just suddenly has to coexist mm-hmm. with stimulate progress. Right. And so that's where you need new talents, new people folks who can solve problems, folks who think differently, and they have to be able to work together. So you've basically created this whole culture of project managers. Now now you're bringing in innovators Mm. to layer on top of that. And then you're looking around the landscape going, okay, so how do we do this? This is lions and (laughs) hyenas. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. Yeah, if if, if I'm, as a project manager, if I'm Elmer Fudd and you're Bugs Bunny, yeah. Which do I really want to be? So how do you create a culture where both are respected at yeah. Chick-fil-A and, and they, they, do, they see each other as peers? Where they can both thrive. Right. Well, and I, that, that's a great question. And I think um, a part of it is, is 
you know, systems and process and definitional and a lot of things that, that, um, that we do, but at its core, it's about trust Mm. at its core. Um, one of my very best friends in the organization retired back in January. And, uh, when you get to be 30 years in an organization, you know, you, you realize you're toward the end, not toward the beginning of your career. And a lot of your friends that were with you, um, you just have had decades to build relationships and trust. So the, the buddy of mine that retired in January, uh, we both spent years and years and years in the marketing department. And um, we would laugh because of our relationship with him being the break. He's very deliberative, hmm. very much a project manager type of mentality. And I'm an innovator. And I'm the gas. you know. And so he's the break and I'm the gas. Mm-hmm. But it was through getting to know each other, getting to trust each other, and, and know when he's going too slow that I could say, hey, dude, come on, we need, we need to speed up. And he knows when I'm going too fast when to slow me down. Um, and those are the things that you can't prescribe. That just happens when you value people who are different than you are. You spend time with them, and you begin to trust and understand that they're not trying to blow up your world, and you're not trying to blow mm-hmm. up theirs. Mm-hmm. There, Steve, you mentioned Jim Collins, and uh, one of the things I keep coming back to with his teaching is that need for humility. And, and having, if you want to achieve level five leadership, there's mm. that paradox, and humility is a piece of that. Mm. And I think of the example you gave with Jim Collins mm. and with um, uh, Truett. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. they both, there, there was a mutual respect there. Yes. One was not going to undermine or do something behind the back. They had such respect for each other. Mm-hmm. And I know that's a, a key to the culture and to the success of Chick-fil-A is building that trust and having that humility yeah. and finding really talented but humble people. So yeah, I think um, you guys are, are really set apart in that regard. That ideal team player that Pat Lencioni talks about, you know, hungry, humble, smart. Right. Um, hungry you can tell. Um, smart you can tell. Humble you can fake. Yes. <laughs> humble you can fake. And what, what Lencioni talks about is that's the easiest one to get wrong. Mm-hmm. And, and quite honestly, that's, I think, something that we are struggling with and that all larger companies will struggle with. Because there was a time when you joined and you joined because it was a calling. You know, it was like, okay, you saw Truett and you were like, man, he's a cool old, old dude. I want to you know, <laughs> hitch my wagon to that. <laughs> and now we're big. You know, and so you you want to make sure you're bringing in people who are humble, who have the humility, and who recognize at the end of the day, we're a restaurant company, and you're going to smell like peanut oil, <laughs> and you got to be okay with that. And and that is so. There's a common bond, a common core, a common culture that you have to identify, and that you have to all point toward as you're working together. Um, and knowing that you're all striving for the success of the operator in the in the community, but you know if if you don't have that common language and you don't have that common culture and that common bond, it's going to be really really difficult for you to be able to actually work together as business partners. Mm-hmm. And I think humility is something that you can fake. I agree with that a hundred percent. But I think it's only for so long that yes. you can fake it. Yeah, it's like it's 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 like I can hold a beach ball under the water too. Mm-hmm. You know, but not eventually <laughs> that beach ball is going to come up and yes. it's going to come roaring up. Yes. And you know, you find 
you find that humility isn't so easily faked when failure comes into play. Yes. That's when you see. Add a little bit of stress, and then you see what somebody's made of. There's yeah. an organization that I'm involved with uh, right now that's going through a significant failure. And um, immediately it's devolved into an eight-way finger point. Yes. Everybody's oh. scrambling to find someone to blame, and no one's accepting the blame, and no one's even taking ownership of any of the mistakes. It's, mm-hmm. So it's fascinating. You know, now you start to see, okay, what looked like humility, there's it's something else now. Oh, that that is a great point, Andy, because you, you see the same thing where it, when you can find somebody who will say, yeah, I, I blew it. I was wrong, especially somebody who is in a position of leadership to do that. That is fantastic role modeling. And leaders don't – most of them don't understand that. They feel like they've got to preserve a, a, a look, a uh, – A veneer. Mm-hmm. A veneer, exactly. right, uh, of, being, of being perfect. And we all know you're not. So don't pretend that you are. I blew it. Here's how I blew it. And yes. here's what I've learned from it. Yes. Here's why that won't happen again. Suddenly, if somebody can do that, you've got a gold mine on your hands. That's right. And when you find that, in a particularly in a new hire or a younger person, um, and, and you realize, I mean, Chick-fil-A, there's a lot of grace given when you, when you don't do things right because we all know that doesn't happen. But um, it's it's rare to find somebody that will raise their hand and go, yeah, I blew that one, and let me tell you what I learned. Oh, mm. oh I, I, I hear that person all day, every day. You know, that's what you need. Well, Steve Nedvedic, we are just scratching the surface in this discussion of the necessity of innovation in, in the history of Chick-fil-A. We have a lot more to ask you. So we're hoping we can carry our conversation over into our next podcast two weeks from now. Would that be all right? I'd be happy to. Great, great. Before we say goodbye, though, this time, how can our listeners get in contact with you? Yeah, uh, easiest way is uh, either LinkedIn or uh, just email me. Shoot me an email, steve.nedvedek, N-E-D-V-I-D-E-K. That's how I would have spelled it, too. Or as my mother used to say, N as in Nancy, E as in Edward, D as in David, V as in Victor, I, D as in David, E as in Edward, K. Not K as in kilo, just K. Just K. At cfacorp.com. Well, thanks again, Steve. Andy and Bill, as always, thanks for guiding us. We'll see you all back here in two weeks. Here at Manage This, we've got your back when it comes to PDUs, professional development units toward your recertifications. Did you know that you get free PDUs just for listening to this podcast? To claim them, go to VelociTeach.com and select Manage This Podcast from the top of the page. Click the button that says Claim PDUs and just click through the steps. That's it for us here on Manage This. We hope you'll tune back in on July 18th for our next podcast when we talk again with Steve Nedvedek about some of the processes involved in innovation. In the meantime, you can visit us at VelociTeach.com slash Manage This to subscribe to this podcast to see a transcript of the show, or to contact us. And tweet us at manage underscore this if you have any questions about our podcasts or about project management certifications. We always like hearing from you. That's all for this episode. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, keep calm and manage this.